The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. On his way to the end zone. I'll tell you what, that was a spectacular play. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. What a play! Off to the races! Some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, Heath, and Ben. A wise man once said, sleepers win you weeks, breakouts win you leagues. So let's put those words uh, into action here and win some leagues with some great breakouts on today's show. 2021 breakouts, fantasy football today. Adam Azer with Dave Richard and Heath Cummings. We might get Jamie Eisenberg on. If not, we'll still talk about his breakouts. It'll be a lot of fun. Dave, welcome back from a little weekend trip. Uh, some fantasy football in your life. How you doing? I'm doing great. I saw two preseason games. I have plenty to report from from them. Bills, Lions, and Panthers, Colts. And I spent a day for the third time in four years. I'm I'm really like lucky to have spent a day drafting at the Pro Football Hall of Fame with a bunch of other analysts from other sites, catching up with a lot of people. And uh, building some interesting teams in 14-team leagues that we run there. So, very long weekend. A lot of fun. A lot of writing. A lot of football. Cool. Good stuff, man. And I'm going to do one good stat and one bad stat for some of your breakouts to start the show. We have another Arnold Schwarzenegger segment, which is really cool. One of our listeners gave us an Arnold quote, and I can't figure out what movie it's from, but I will ask you guys a little bit later and see if you can figure out if you can name that Schwarzenegger movie. But mostly this is a breakout show. We'll see if we have time for your emails, uh, fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Also, thank you very much for your Apple podcast reviews. We very much appreciate it. Listen, we know we're one of the top fantasy football podcasts out there. We want to be the number one, so we need you to tell your friends, spread the word. If you don't want to tell people in your league that's fine but tell other people about fantasy football today all right one good stat one bad stat the first one is for a heath breakout ready heath yeah Woo! deandre swift (laughs) is your break one of your breakouts he is going 29th overall in cbs adp he is rb 15 and good stat for deandre swift in his last six games he was on pace for nearly 1400 total yards 61 catches and 14 touchdowns. That is one hell of a pace. Uh, The bad stat for DeAndre Swift, Lions running backs combined for 17 rushing touchdowns last year. That was as much as they had in the previous two years combined. It was the first time in, I think, seven seasons that Lions running backs had more than 13 rushing touchdowns. This just hasn't been a good backfield. It was last year. What is the bad stat? Historically, that seems like two good stats. Player gets drafted by a team that never scores running back touchdowns. And as soon as he joins the team, they score as many touchdowns as they had the two years prior. <laughs> Fine. That bad seems stat. like two good stats. Bad stat. The Lions might be awful this year. And I, I don't know. It has not been in recent history. The Detroit backfield has not been good for fantasy. That is the bad stat. But it was it was once DeAndre Swift got there. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah. okay. They haven't finished in the top half in the NFL in rushing <laughs> since Barry Sanders was on the team. Wow, I'm old enough to remember that. Yeah. All right, Heath. So make your case for DeAndre Swift as RB15 off the board right now, mid third round, early to mid third round. Yeah, he's a 22 year old running back who, as a 21 year old, just changed the fortune of an entire franchise in terms of rushing touchdowns. Uh, like right. that, all jokes aside, when he was used as anywhere, and not a feature back even, but even 15 touches per game, he basically averaged the same PPR fantasy points per game as Derrick Henry. Now he has a new head coach that wants to run things like the Saints do and compares him to Alvin Kamara. He has a new offensive coordinator that wants to run things like the Chargers did in the Austin Eckler role. Those are two guys who don't get a workhorse role, but we still take in the first round because so many of their touches 
are in the passing game and because they're really good. Well, you know what? DeAndre Swift is really good as well. What is Jamal Williams' role? Yesterday you were saying that people might think of Jamal Williams Williams more as the early down role. Um, That's exactly what the Lions have said. They've compared him to Latavius Murray. Yeah, so that is that what you think is going to happen? Or is he just not going to have much of a role at all? Because he was not, that's not what his role was with the Packers, obviously. No, it wasn't. Um, I think that he will be, I think he will start the year as a Latavius Murray slash whatever you want to call the combination of Kalen Pillage, Joshua Kelly, and Justin Jackson last year. Um, where he's getting somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 14 touches per week. I know that sounds like a lot for a backup running back, but Anthony Lynn's running backs have averaged 31 touches per game over the past four seasons, consistently amongst the league leaders and the number of targets and touches the running backs get. So you can have Jamal Williams in that 12-ish range and DeAndre Swift around 17. I think that there's a chance that Jamal Williams takes some of the short yardage runs early in the year from Swift, but nobody is watching Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift run the football for more than a game or two and thinking, right. you know, when we're close to the goal line, we should really give it to that guy. Or anywhere on the field. Well, no, they, like, they're going to, they're not going to give Swift 25 touches yeah. a game. Right. I know, but he, he, sh- he should. I, th- I just think he's going to be a much better rusher than Jamal Williams. Dave, any do you have any issues with the DeAndre Swift breakout Dave call? Hates DeAndre Swift. Yeah, I'm I'm not as big of a fan as as Heath is. I I think of him more as a round four pick, and that's even in PPR. I'm nervous about him staying upright. I think the coaches are serious when they talk about a split because they've been talking about a one-two punch. Literally, their quote, and they've both said it. Both Campbell and uh, and Anthony Lynn have said it ever since Jamal Williams really joined the team. And I like their offensive line, and I think their offensive line has a chance to be good. I think they view Williams as, as the, the hammer, and I think they view I think they view Williams as the light of the thunder. Jeez, Louise, I should be able to get this end out. Hold on. Yeah. I, I, I think he's the lightning. I think they absolutely do see him as the passing downs guy, and that's where he still has value for me in PPR is because I, I agree with Heat that I think he's got high catch potential. I don't necessarily see as many carries there for him from game to game. Uh, they've they've talked, and, and Campbell said this on Friday after the game, they don't mind going with a hot hand approach. How often is Swift going to have the hotter hand than Williams? It might be half the season, but it also might be half the season, which means that half the times you start DeAndre Swift, you better hope he gets five, six catches a game. That's possible. I don't know if we can absolutely um, promise that to happen game in and game out. And this is a team that's probably not going to score a ton of points. So when we talk about touchdowns, I don't know how many there actually are for these two to even split. And then you just look at at how he ranked in terms of elusiveness last year, yards after contact last year, and Swift didn't rank high there at all. So I'm nervous about him getting a big workload. And that makes me really want to stay away from him in non-PPR and half-PPR. And the only reason to stay with him in PPR is because of the full point per catch. I think he'll get a lot of catches as long as he stays healthy. He dealt with injury issues last year, including concussions and migraines from a concussion. And now this year it's the groin that uh, Campbell said on Friday wasn't healing fast enough. So they didn't want to push it and put him in the game. And they said the only way they would have played him is if they really, this is a quote, really, really needed it from DeAndre Swift. So hopefully he's back at practice soon. Hopefully he does have a good year. Please draft him as a number two fantasy running back. And I, I just I feel like there's other running backs out there that we can expect more from in terms of overall yardage, overall touches. That'll do better for us in fantasy. The the couple things that I would push back on because like mostly for the first half of that, Dave was saying the exact same thing I said about Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift's roles. Um. I don't know what evidence we have that suggests that Jamal Williams will half of the time be the hot hand in combination with a guy that was taken 35th overall last year and averaged 4.6 yards per carry on a team where nobody else averaged better than 3.9. Let's see him do it again. Yeah. I mean, mean, honestly, they're both starting clean slate with this team. New coaches, new offensive mindset. Uh, They really want to lean on that big offensive line. But you don't think Jamal Williams is as talented as DeAndre Swift? No, I don't think Williams. Well, I mean, Jamal Williams is such a jag 
right? Uh, he, he's, yeah. a, he's a jag. He's just the guy. Swift should be able to beat him out and get... I, I don't know. I wish the but It's Lions not about were... beating him out. It's about mixing and match. They're going to both right. play. That's For sure. how it comes down to Right, it. yeah, I know. Um, so when, when I take a running back in round two, I want a guy that's not going to be in But he's that not going in round two. He's not going in round two. Well, I know that Heath would take him in round. You'll take Alvin Kamara and Austin Eckler in round one, though, right? Absolutely, but they'll play more than the guys that they're with. Like I'm, I'm so that's certain the, so that the Alvin issue Kamara is will the, lead the Saints in touches and playing time and all that stuff. The, you just differ on the splits. That's the you guys see the splits being different. That's how I'm interpreting this. Dave thinks Jamal Williams has more of a role than Heath does, or more of a value. I think he's going to have. I think Dave said 12 touches a game. I I would agree with that. Okay. Yeah, right. I just if I'm if I'm taking a running back with 12 touches per game, it's not going to be with a top that's, 40. That's back. been exactly what the op, the running back opposite Austin Eckler has had. Right. So why would I want that? Have you watched Austin Eckler? Yes. Wait, so he thinks no, that Swift that's the is the guy opposite Eckler, not Eckler himself. I'm saying the guy opposite Eckler, Eckler Swift. gets the same touches as we're we're talking about for Williams. You're drafting Swift, expecting him to be Eckler or Camara. We're around and a I half just, cheaper. I don't think it's going to happen. Well, a round and a half cheaper, though. Like, I, I'm not drafting him where we're, we're drafting both of those guys in the first round. Of yeah. course. All right, let's move on. Let's go to one good stat, one bad stat for one of Dave's breakouts. It's CeeDee Lamb. CeeDee Lamb had 900 yards last year. All right. There have been 24 wide receivers since 2003 who have had 900 yards as a rookie. That includes three last season. So that means 21 going into last year. Of those 21, only five of them had bad sophomore seasons. Keenan Allen, Anquan Bolden, Michael Clayton, Eddie Royal, and Mike Williams of Tampa Bay. Uh, I've mentioned this all the time. 900 yards as a rookie is a really solid mark. means most of the players who have reached that in the last 17 years have gone on to have very good careers, and most of them have scored more fantasy points in their second season. Uh, the bad stat, CeeDee Lamb had only three more targets than Michael Gallup in 2020. And the not sure if it's good or bad, Lamb played almost exclusively in the slot in 2020, and that will not be the case in 2021. I'm not sure, Dave, do you like him playing more on the outside? Uh, it seems like they're going to be creative with the way they use their three receivers. Yeah, I think that's fine. I'm okay with him being on the outside because they're going to try and manufacture matchups for him. And the reality is that they're probably going to play against a lot of zone defenses. Teams don't really have the type of defensive personnel to line up with what Dallas has on offense. You think about their three-star receivers, their two good tight ends, their running back ain't bad, and their quarterback will run. So if he if he's going to see zone coverage, I think he can beat that whether he's in the slot or out of the slot. My favorite number about Lamb is that last year with Dak Prescott, he had a minimum of 10 PPR points in every single game. He had 16-plus PPR in three of the five, and that was on a target share below 17% from Prescott. I think the target share is going to go up. I think you're going to see him put up more points per week, and I think he's got a chance to finish as a top-12 wide receiver. Okay. And Heath, I know you're obviously concerned just about the target share, and you've broken it down. <clears throat> and yeah, Dave, I like... Yeah, I'm sorry. I, go ahead. There's, um, there's a lot of competition for targets in Dallas, and... Um, Amari Cooper is every bit as good as CeeDee Lamb at this point. I think if Cooper doesn't get hurt, it's very difficult for either of them to be top 12 unless Dak is on that record-breaking pace that we've talked about with Kellen Moore uh, because this offense has been pretty consistent since Moore Tech took over of about 100, 120 targets go to tight ends, about that much is going to go to running backs, and then that third receiver plus is going to have a good chunk of targets as well. So it's not it's not a situation like we've talked about um, in Minnesota where where maybe 52% of the targets go to two wide receivers. Uh, it's a less concentrated attack. So I, I really think Lamb has to either displace Cooper or Dak has to have an, an otherworldly season for Lamb to be a top 12 wide receiver. And Dave, you're taking Lamb over Cooper? I'm taking Lamb over Cooper. I'm nervous to take Cooper as a top 15 receiver. I'll do it in PPR, but last two, see, he was wide receiver 14 in PPR points per game in 2019. He was wide receiver 20 last year. I think he can do better than wide receiver 20, provided that both he and Dak stay healthy all year. But I don't want to draft him too close to his ceiling. And I think Lamb does have the chance to be the better receiver 
to get more targets and to do more with them than Cooper this year. But I think they could both operate as number two receivers for fantasy managers. Yeah. And and I just, I, uh, and I tweeted this out a while ago. Do you, have you seen what Amore Cooper was on pace for with Dak Prescott? Yes. Like uh, 196 targets over a 17 game season, 144 catches, 1500 yards. Um, like pretty good. It, he was, I think, I think Lamb actually had one more touchdown, um, which was funny because Lamb barely scored any more touchdowns the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. But the, the targets and catches and yards were, were not all that close between Cooper and Lamb when Dak was healthy. And that was the good stretch for Lamb. I think what people like about Lamb is the guy has no preseason, no, you know, or yeah, no preseason games, no mini camp, no offseason like, like a normal one last year. He comes out. And in the first five games of the year, he has five, six, five, five, and eight catches. He has 79 or more yards in three of the first five games. And those were the five games that Dak Prescott but played him. And that, that is crazy good for a rookie. But why? But why was he so much better than Michael Gallup? I mean, he was so much better than Michael Gallup. Right. And we're drafting Michael Gallup in the team. But it's not about comparing. Really- it's, it's about... It's about look. Okay, fine. You want the math, right? The first five he had like games, sixteen percent of their targets and maybe twenty percent of their yards. He caught seventy-two point five percent of his targets in the first five games. Ten point eight three yards per target, which would have ranked seventh if he had done that in a full season. I know he wouldn't have done that in a full season, but he was great. C.D. Lamb was awesome. Okay, I'm sure he was better than Amari Cooper in Cooper's first five games of his career. Like people don't come out and do this. So I think that's that's what has people really gripped is oh my gosh that was only five games I know but it, you know you're projecting this this was unpre- this was not unprecedented but this was tremendous production from a rookie wide receiver and that gives people hope that he's going to be better than Amari Cooper uh, and how about the fact that he caught sixty four percent of his passes from quarterbacks not named Dak Prescott in those last 11 games of the season he had 10 plus PPR points in six of those 11 games with terrible quarterbacks. And, you know, everybody gets caught up in in the training camp highlights that you see on social media. But what I see is a receiver who's open even when he's covered, that the quarterback knows that they can just throw it over his head by a foot and Lamb will go up there and make the play. And that's just something that's that's a trait of an elite wide receiver, guys that can do that and still make the catch when they're covered. And Lamb's going to probably make a bunch of those plays this year. And I think he's got the confidence of Prescott going into his second year, building on the experience from last year. I think there's a real case to be made that he is the best wide out in Dallas. All right, we're going to talk about a lot of players today. So let's move on and get deeper into the breakouts list. Also, we have some injury news to update you on and some wardrobe stuff to update you on. Looking good is very important, okay? I can remember going back, and it's been a while since I've gotten dressed up because of the pandemic, just haven't had big events to go to. But one night that stands out where I really wanted to look good was the night before my wedding. Obviously, I got the fancy tux for the wedding and whatnot, but the night before my wedding, got the rehearsal dinner. Got to find my best suit, my go-to suit, my custom suit. And what did I go for? My Indochino suit. I absolutely love my Indochino suit. I've been wearing it for five or six years now. And it's, it is, like I said, my go-to suit. Looking sharp, looking good, feeling good. Gives you that confidence when you do look in the mirror, walk out the door, and feel like you just look like you're, you're just crushing it. Uh, if you want a special offer, go to Indochino.com slash FFT. I'll tell you more about that later. Indochino.com slash FFT. So Indochino offers completely custom fitted suits, shirts, casual wear, and more at surprisingly affordable prices. Every piece is made to your exact measurements and you can customize every detail and you choose everything about the suit. Okay. It's not just the size. It's the design. It's the lapel, the fabric, the monogram on the inside. You'll have fun with that. Uh, The statement linings, all these things are going to make it just 100% for you, personalized, and you're just going to have more fun wearing it and feel better wearing it. And you're like, oh, how much does this cost? Not expensive at all. Some custom suits are thousands of dollars. This is $399 with all customizations included. Indochino, this has changed since I first started wearing Indochino, but Indochino is now open at select Nordstrom stores giving you even more ways to get great fitting, personalized clothing. Find your nearest location at Indochino.com. Here's the offer, by the way. $50 off any purchase of $3.99 or more by using the code FFT at checkout. Um, I'm sorry, I gave I said something wrong earlier. I said Indochino.com slash FFT. Actually, you're going to use FFT at checkout. So 
I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, and the promo code is FFT. 50 bucks off your purchase of $3.99 or more. Some news and notes for you. Cam Newton says he has not been guaranteed the starting job for week one. I don't think this is necessarily a shock, but... I'm shocked. Yeah. Bill Belichick's not going to just say, oh, he's starting. He's going to make him earn it, but we'll see who starts. We'll keep a close eye on it. I thought Mac Jones looked pretty good, by the way. Very conservative. Yeah. 4.5 yards per attempt or something like that. But but his best throw was a beautiful throw in the end zone. It was a deeper pass, and it was dropped. Yep, dropped. Can I... uh... Can I say one thing about Amari Cooper real quick, just because we said that he wasn't near as good as CeeDee Lamb's first five games? I just looked it up. It was good. Amari but it wasn't, Cooper was awesome. It wasn't as good. It wasn't well, as no, good. He didn't play on a team that was on pace to throw for 7,000 yards. He had he four more Carr. targets in his first five games than CeeDee Lamb did. He was did. playing with Derek Carr. And CeeDee Lamb, Lamb had, what, 50 more yards or something matter. on four fewer targets? I, no, I just think we don't like Amari Cooper is an elite, was an elite level prospect, an elite level draft pick, and one of the best rookie wide receivers up until the last couple of years. I hope C.D. Lamb's career is better than Amari Cooper's. I expect it to be. How about that? Same. And Cooper's had a very good career. I I yeah. expect Lamb to be better. He, it should be much better. It's a different like the game's changed quite a bit in five years, and he has a much better quarterback. Yeah. Yes, he does. Then he has then the one that. Cooper started with. The one that Cooper has now, I would say, compares very similarly to yes. Lamb's quarterback. Darren Waller's back at practice. Stefan Diggs is still out with a knee injury. And are you guys getting close to moving Stefan Diggs down in your rankings? I'm not. Not there yet. Yeah, I've got um, so little separation between like, him and DeAndre Hopkins. And so, and really like Calvin Ridley and A.J. Brown. They're all close enough that I'm not too far away from it. Okay, uh, Traquan Smith returned to practice. The Seahawks signed Jamal Adams to a four-year extension. Their safety, who I believe set the NFL record for most sacks by a defensive back last year. Justin Jefferson was limited in practice on Monday. That's a good sign. Uh, it's, it's By the way, it's Tuesday now, so we don't have all the, pro, uh, the practice reports. So I know a lot of this information. There are no official practice reports this time of year. Well, I mean the media reports from practice. Sure. Because it's it's Tuesday afternoon right now. Uh, Joe Burrow won't play this weekend. And more Brandon Allen. Yeah. So so what's the deal with with Burrow? Where you guys are uh, with Burrow right now is he got off to a slow start in camp. He's recovering obviously from the knee surgery. Heath, where are you on Burrow? Uh, pretty much the same place I've always been. I was never drafting Joe Burrow because of his floor. It was all about ceiling, and I still think he has the ceiling. So he's a uh, like one of the first backup, not one of the first guys that I don't feel comfortable with as a starter that I would draft. There's um, he's around QB twelve, lower than that in a two quarterback league. All right, I've got him thirteenth. I've got him behind Tannehill, Rogers, Jalen Hurts, Matthew Stafford. I've got him ahead of all the rookies. There's tons of upside, obviously. Look at the offense that he's in. But I, I think he's a little bit of a risk just because of the knee and because he's not necessarily playing in preseason games and that offensive line. It's still going to worry me when it comes to pass protection. So I'm, I'm taking a step back from Burrow, not drafting him to be my starter in one quarterback leagues. And Cortland Sutton could be back in action pretty soon. Might be able to play this weekend. That would be nice. And Elijah Moore could practice next week. Here is Poor today's Denver. Denver's got wide receivers coming out of their ears, and they can't find a quarterback. Hey, maybe they did. Locke had a nice debut. Locke played well. Locke played well. Locke made some good throws. All right, here's today's Arnold Schwarzenegger segment from Andrew. He says, "Just for fun, who can be the first to name the Arnold movie based on this quote?" I can't believe I can't get this. I can't place it. Quote: "I have to remind you, Sully, this is my weak arm." Sully. I have to remind you, Sully, this is my weak arm. That's the Arnold quote. I just, I, I feel like I should know this. I can't believe it. Let me see the answer. Oh, I don't think I would have gotten this. I haven't seen this movie in so long. But it's one of the, t- it's, it was probably, if not consensus top five, it was probably Total six. Recall, right? No, it's Commando. Oh. I remember loving Commando, but I haven't seen it in so long, so I don't know the lines. All right, good Mm -hmm. stuff. Feel free. More Arnold Schwarzenegger quotes. We love it. 
Breakouts. All right, Heath had DeAndre Swift. He also has a few more. He's got a lot. You can see him on the website, but he gave me four today. Daryl Henderson, A.J. Brown, and Noah Fant. Daryl Henderson. So currently on CBS ADP, this is a guy who I don't really pay attention to what the ADP says because it's it has been rising so much. But he's RB24, 61st overall. Let me go set a date range on NFC and see if I can get a better gauge of where Daryl Henderson's going. Where would you take Daryl Henderson? Uh, I like him in round four. No, this yeah. is a, this is Heath's breakout, Dave. Sorry. You, oh, I, you didn't say I, that. I know. I my, my bad, my bad. All right, uh, Heath, you're up. And then, Dave, you can follow up. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I like him in round four. I, I think I've actually got him at, kind of at the head now of that group of running backs. We aren't totally sure how many touches per game they're getting or how many catches they're getting. But I think realistically, if Henderson stays healthy, and that's a question mark based on his history, if he stays healthy, I think he's going to be easily easily in that 16 to 17 touch per game range. He was actually better in terms of your favorite stat, Adam, yards per carry. Not in terms Cam of Akers. not in not in terms of Azer stats, he wasn't. If you look at Azer stats, yards per carry, he wasn't. I can explain well, that if you'd I, like. I don't know what um, AYPC for life. How how is Azer stats sure. yards per carry different? Sure. So Cam Akers averaged four point three yards per carry. Daryl Henderson four point five. Akers was averaging four point eight yards per carry before week seventeen when he should not have played. He missed week sixteen and then he had twenty one carries for thirty four yards on an ankle injury in week seventeen and he lost five. He lost half a yard per carry on his season average. So in Azer world, Cam Akers was more efficient than Daryl okay. Henderson. It- Reality, Daryl Henderson was more efficient per carry than Cam Akers was last year. And regardless, there was, like it's not as if Cam Akers just displaced Daryl Henderson last year in, in an easy fashion. I think Akers was um, more athletic and more talented than Henderson, but Henderson was a pretty decent prospect coming in and had some success last year. And I don't like Xavier Jones and Jake Funk are fine late round sleepers in case something happens to Daryl Henderson but I view the situation a little bit like I view Mike Davis with the Falcons. Quadri Allison and JV and Hawkins are not taking the ball away from Mike Davis. I don't really think those guys are taking the ball away from Henderson either. If he stays healthy, he's going to be a top 20 running back, and he's got top 12 upside because this offense consistently produces running back touchdowns in boatloads. Mm -hmm. He's got top 12 upside just because he might be the, he, he might compile his way there. If he stays healthy for 17 games, he'll be the top back for the Rams. You figure for almost all those games because Jones doesn't have a lot of experience. Funk doesn't have a lot of experience. I'm still not sold on them not adding another running back along the way. He could get the Rojo treatment circa 2020, and that could actually send his stock down on draft day and make him an even better value. Um, The other thing that I don't like about Henderson, he doesn't have a lot of experience playing on third downs, 38 career third down snaps. That worries me about what he'll do this year. And it's a brutal schedule to begin the year. He's got the Bears, the Colts, Bucks. I think Arizona's run defense could be pretty good at Seattle, at the Giants. That's how it starts for them. A lot of those teams have suspect secondaries. And I think this offense will revolve around the arm of Matthew Stafford. Henderson will get some decent opportunities as long as he's the main guy, as long as he doesn't screw up. I'm worried about him screwing up and getting in the doghouse. I'm I'm now I, before I wasn't prepared to take him with a top 50 pick. He's crept just inside my top 50 because other running backs I'm souring on, including guys like Mike Davis, Miles Sanders for now. I'm souring on him. I'd rather have Henderson. So he's an okay pick in round four, but I prefer to wait until like the last possible moment in round four. So if you've got McCaffrey in round one and say you go receiver, receiver in rounds two and three, you've got a chance to get Henderson in late round four. If he's still there, take him. Okay. And he is currently in the last week of ADP on NFC national fantasy championship. He's going 51st overall. He's running back 22. He's going after miles Sanders, Travis Etienne, and Josh Jacobs. So are you guys saying that Daryl Henderson should go ahead of miles Sanders, Etienne, and Jacobs? I would yes. take him ahead of all of those guys and a, and a few other running backs as well. And a couple other things I would just say, um, while he has not played on third down a lot, he has averaged 9.8 yards per reception, which is very good. And in terms of screwing up, he's not fumbled once in 197 career NFL touches, so that's not a bad start. 
Okay, let's go to one more Heath. Eh, we'll do a couple more Heath breakouts here, and we'll go to Dave's. A.J. Brown. So what would a breakout look like for A.J. Brown? He's the 30th overall pick on CBS 8 ADP. That's wide receiver 8. 25th overall on Fantasy Pros ADP. Would he have to perform like a first-rounder? I've got him projected for 90 catches, 1,434 yards, and 12 touchdowns. So I think that would qualify, and I don't really, I'm not really sure that that's his ceiling. He still hasn't had a season where he finished as a top 12 wide receiver. He had about six good games in his rookie year. Maybe it was seven, and he had a, a almost double that last year. But we're ta- I, I think the guy we've referenced before when talking about him is the Tyree Kill path when you look at his targets per game, and he hasn't yet got to that level where he's earning the... I mean, he's probably not going to get to Devontae Adams, Michael Thomas level, but he hasn't quite got to that 140, 150 target range. But Tyree Kill didn't for quite a while before he got to 130. So I think this could be the year where he takes another step forward. I believe the Titans will throw at least a little bit more, and if something happens to Derrick Henry, they'll throw a lot more this year. And they're such an efficient passing team, too. Like They, they do a really good job of scheming him up. And if Julio Jones is healthy and on the other side... You can say bye-bye to double teams for A.J. Brown. Uh, He averaged 16.9 PPR points per game last year. As a rookie, he was at 13.1. But if I may Azer stat this a little bit, his last four games, he averaged 23.5 PPR. Remember I had that big finish to his rookie season? It was Mm -hmm. 23.5 PPR points per game. So if you take that, you tack it on to what he did all of 2020, 18.3 PPR points per game in his last 18 overall. I think he's as talented as hell. He seems healthy. I know he had the issues with his knees this offseason. He had surgery on both of them. He seems back in the fold. I think there's a really good chance that he could finish as a top five receiver in fantasy. And you don't have to necessarily draft him like one. Yeah. But you do have to draft him like a top 10 receiver. You absolutely yeah. have to. I think he probably has the best chance of any wide receiver not being drafted in the first two rounds of finishing as number one. Like I think he could just be the best wide receiver sure. in fantasy this year. And he might, like, it's kind of the Justin Jefferson argument. Um, he might just be the best wide receiver in fantasy and football. Uh, he's certainly in that discussion. AJ Brown was fifth per game in non PPR, seventh per game in PPR last year, and uh, yeah, and that was with bad knees. <laughs> so I know he's coming off the surgery, but he played hurt last year and he played tremendously. Would you guys take him as your sixth wide receiver? Is he your sixth wide receiver off the board? A fourth for me. He's sixth for me. So you have him ahead of Hopkins and Ridley Heath? Uh, no, I've got, well, okay, he's fourth in projections. He's fifth in rankings. I've got him projected just barely ahead of Diggs. Okay. All right, then. Uh, Noah Fant, Heath, last breakout we'll talk about for you today. Tight end eight, 90th overall. He is so talented. Can he get enough targets to and get a good enough quarterback play to, to really break out? Yeah, and I don't I don't really think that targets are going to be a problem. There's more than enough vacated wide receiver targets for Fant to earn the same target share he did last year. And he was basically, I mean, if even if you don't have to take out all of his injured games, if you just take out the Kendall Hinton game, he was basically on the same target pace as TJ Hawkinson last year. And he's much better generally on a per target basis than Hawkinson is. So I think the it, it was encouraging to see what Drew Locke did in the first preseason game, but regardless, one of two things is going to happen. Drew Locke is going to improve and play better this year, or Teddy Bridgewater is going to play, and he's better than Drew Locke was last year. So Noah Fant's going to have better quarterback play than he did last year. An excellent way to put that. Um, 18.5% target share in 15 games in 2020. I don't think you can fight with that. 6.2 targets per game. I don't think you can fight with that. What the man needs is more touchdowns and more red zone work. Um, and and I, I do think it's important to like just to to when you say those fif- in 15 games, sure. that includes the Kendall Hinton game and a game where he played five snaps. Yeah, absolutely. He he was tied for 18th among tight ends in red zone targets with 10. And this is where there's a disconnect for me, because I, I look at him. He's he's super talented, right? Super athletic profile, plays a unique role. But why isn't he getting more work in the red zone? What? Why aren't the coaches calling more plays for that? I just why I don't does know he that tied for twenty first in targets inside of ten yards. Why? Is, I don't know that there's an answer to that. I just don't think there's an answer to that. I think it's fluky. Right. So, I think that okay. could easily change. Easily change. It sure it could easily change, or there's something about what he does that the coaches are fearful of. Fearful? And I don't know. That sounds like now, a, this. I don't this know. team might want to be 
more run focused when they get near the goal line. The way Javante played in that first preseason game, can't blame him for that. Well, they the way might, Melvin Gordon's track record is, you can't blame him for that. They could do both. I mean, they could do both, you know? I mean, it's well, just, why haven't they over the past two years? Well, don't have an answer for I that. I mean, we could do a lot of that. Why haven't they with TJ Hawkinson? We could do a whole lot of that. But at least with Hawkinson, there were other Galladay was there, not last year for very many games, but the year before he was. Marvin Jones was there. And I I just I, I can kind of understand why Hawkinson and there was no running in there. So maybe we could do it for Hawkinson and why he wasn't used more there. But he was cl- in PPR leagues, he was pretty close to breaking out last year. I think he had like nine or more PPR points in 12 of 16 games. Hawkinson had. Uh, I Fanton, think I Fanton think did both not come Hawkinson, Hawkinson, I'm pretty sure Hawkinson and Fant both led their team in red zone targets, by the way. Uh, I'll double check that. Fant, yeah. Okay. So you can't say that with Hawkinson. He had 15 red zone targets that led the team. He had nine green zone targets inside the 10 yard line that led the team. Fant also led his team in red zone targets. He was tied with Tim Patrick. It was just a low number. Hawkinson had 15 and Fant had 10. Fant only had four targets inside the green zone. So they both led their team in red zone targets, but Fant just didn't have very many of those. The other thing that happened was that Fant had 33 PPR points in his first two games, and then he averaged seven and a half PPR points in his remaining 13. Because he didn't score. Look, he's got to score touchdowns. So is it a byproduct of the Broncos not being good enough to even get in the red zone, much less get in the end zone last (laughs) year? I'm going to give you their pass. You know how bad their passing offense was, but I'm just going to give the numbers. You go to a website (coughs) and you look at passing leaders for teams, it subtracts the sack yardage lost, but just the raw numbers, 3,673 yards, 21 touchdowns, 23 interceptions. That is just dreadful. And 13, you can subtract 13 of those yards because they were from Kendall Hinton, but uh, 3,673 passing yards last year for a full season. That is just dreadful. Uh, but yeah, so they, they were Fant also finished the, the year strong. He averaged 14 fantasy points per game in his final three games. And he averaged more fantasy points per game in complete games with a quarterback than TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, except Hawkinson's situation probably got better. And I and I think Maybe. fans probably got worse if Cortland Sutton's healthy. I just don't know how it's not worse. I, I know what you're saying about, hey, there were targets to all these guys, whatever, but I just don't see how adding Cortland Sutton isn't a problem. When tight ends, it seems like the, the biggest... The biggest, most important stat for tight ends is targets. That's just that's just what it is, unless you're Robert Tunney. Receivers, Tunyon. too. Yeah, but, but I'm just seeing, yeah, yes, but tight ends, man, I keep giving this stat. Over the last five years, one tight end has finished as a top five tight end without being first or second on his team in targets. It was Robert Tunyon, who was only three targets behind number two. So if you're not number two or number one on your team in targets, you just haven't finished as a top five tight end. Is he going to be, and maybe he doesn't have to finish as a top five end, five tight end, okay? Maybe he can still break out, but I, it, that's just the only concern, Heath. It's just, does Cortland Sutton really foul things up for him? Well, and I mean, we need to see, is Cortland Sutton currently a better option in the passing game than Noah Fant? Yeah. And uh, Jerry Judy takes a big step, too. I don't know. It's just, this is not the kind of offense. I have the same problem with Herb Smith. Is he one of your breakouts or, or Jamie's breakouts? Not mine. No. Dave, I, I was talking to. I think he's on Jamie's list today. I, mean, I have the same problem with Herb Smith. It just Jamie has him as a as a breakout. He's going 120th overall. He's much later. But you look at the Kirk Cousins era, four years. If Herb Smith is going to be the third best option on the team, that is usually just a, an insignificant player. Yeah. In the Vikings offense, I don't think the number three receiver has had more than 600 yards in four seasons with the Vikings. So that's you know, look, Thielen, maybe Thielen craps out, maybe he gets hurt and things change. But these are considerations that I have with tight end. I, I'll let you guys talk about I've said a lot here. I'll let you guys react to what I've been saying. It's a target issue. <laughs> to sum up my last two minutes of speaking. Yeah, I and uh, listen, we, we do this thing with Mark Andrews as well, and I just spend way too much time on Twitter talking about it. I just, I value having earned targets. Um just as much as the potential to get more targets because everybody on your team is bad. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? 
Like last year, the Raiders drafted Henry Ruggs in the first round and Brian Edwards in the third round, and we spent a good portion of the offseason worried that Darren Waller's targets were going to get down because they added so much talent at wide receiver. Yeah, big mistake. Big mistake. But Sutton's proven. And Fant wasn't that good last year. <laughs> you know. Sure. Um, neither, but neither. But I was talking more in relation to Hawkinson. I don't think Noah oh. Fant's going to be Darren Waller. Um, I think it's more likely that Noah Fant's Darren Waller than TJ Hawkinson. I would agree with that, Dave. Oh, lost your audio, Dave. We'll get it back. Lost it. All right. All right. We'll get Dave's audio back. I could say whatever I want about yeah. these guys. Yeah. No. Dave, gosh, that Dave guy. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun to watch on video. Bye, Dave. Why don't uh, you just why don't you get me Dave's breakouts? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna no, just yeah, tell you why. Uh, I hate that him. sounds fair. <laughs> that sounds fair. Um, all right. So <clears throat> Noah Fant, AJ Brown, Daryl Henderson, DeAndre Swift. These are the breakouts that we talked about for Heath Cummings today. Let's take a quick break on fantasy football today. Hopefully we'll get Dave back soon. When we come back, I'll take a look at the list that Jamie gave me for his breakouts and see uh, how he feels about them. We'll be right back on fantasy football today. What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. And we are back. Uh, we do have a new podcast. I'm going to tell you about that in just a moment. A DFS podcast that you're going to love. Jamie's breakouts, Clyde Edwards, Elair, Damian Harris, Terry McLaurin, and Irv Smith. Clyde Edwards, Elair, Damian Harris, Terry McLaurin, and Irv Smith. How do you feel about I that list? I love Terry McLaurin. That's uh, easily my favorite of Jamie's breakouts. And I don't like, I think there was a point this summer where Jamie might have had Terry McLaurin top five. And I didn't even hate it that much. There was a point where I think where I had him top seven. He has been really good with mostly miserable quarterback play. 9.0 yards per target over 227 targets from bad quarterbacks. He already basically had his breakout last year, in my opinion, 134 targets in 15 games, 87 catches, 1118 yards, but it was disguised by the fact that he had some injury problems and he only scored four touchdowns on 134 targets. The year before, he scored seven times on 93 targets. I think you should expect, now you shouldn't expect that type of rate either, but you should expect the arrival of Ryan Fitzpatrick to help McLaurin finally produce as the top 10 wide receiver that he is. Yeah, is he? Do you see a big difference between McLaurin and Metcalf and AJ Brown and Justin Jefferson? There, there is a difference um, because we are kind of projecting that AJ Brown and DK Metcalf and Justin Jefferson are going to make the next step to the targets of what Terry McLaurin already has. On the flip side of that, we've never seen Terry McLaurin be near as good on a per-target basis as those three wide receivers. So they're different. But in terms of like the the, if you just forget about that and you just look at their projected fantasy points, um, no, I think that they're like they all have the possibility to definitely be top five wide receivers. I have McLaurin, Jefferson, and Metcalf much closer than I have AJ Brown. Oh, you have Brown ahead of the pack, right? Okay, Dave, you right. back. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. So we're okay. looking at Jamie's breakouts and, and talking about Terry McLaurin here. And what's interesting about McLaurin is that if, if Terry McLaurin is close to the wide receivers who are going in the middle of round two, then you could just say, you know what? I'm not going to take one of those guys as much as I love them. I'm not going to take Metcalf or, or uh, Jefferson or A.J. Brown right here. I'm going to take Darren Waller or I'm going to take a second running back who I love. And then I'm going to take McLaurin as my first wide receiver in round three. Let's say you drafted Ezekiel Elliott or Austin Eckler or something in round one. 
you know, if you don't feel like you're losing that much going from the three wide receivers I just said, A.J. Brown, Metcalf, and Jefferson, to McLaurin in round three, obviously you have to gamble and hope he's there, but based on his average draft position, which is... Um, it's going to be right around 37. 38. Right, he should be... He, it's uh, Oh, it's 42nd on CBS, but it's 32nd in Fantasy Pros ADP. But again, if you have like the 30th pick from the middle of round three, I think he'll probably be there. Anyway, Dave... What do you think about that? Do you think there's a big separation between the mid-round two wide receivers and Terry McLaurin in round three? I don't know if I would say a big separation. I would say that there's a, a modest one there just because we, we've never quite seen McLaurin do or have that huge year. We've seen him play well. Last year was 14.5 PPR points per game. Uh, the year before that was 13.3 PPR points per game. If you go non-PPR, he was basically about the same. 8.7 in 2020, 9.1 in 2019. I would agree, though, he's getting an upgrade in quarterback with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and that might make all the difference in the world. A couple of stats. Fitzpatrick's on-target rate last year was 79.9%. 80% of his throws were on target. That was sixth best among all quarterbacks. His top target each of the past four seasons had at least 19.6% of the target share and, uh, and a lot of them were outside type of wide receivers, just like McLaurin is. So it makes sense that McLaurin is going to see around 20 to 24% of the target share from Ryan Fitzpatrick. And Ryan Fitzpatrick last year, very much on target. The year before that in 2019, 73% on target. That's pretty good. So there's a chance for him to see that little jump start in terms of efficiency. And if you mix in some an increase in targets on top of that, then it's pretty clear to see that McLaurin is at least a top 12 receiver, regardless of format, but a chance to finish in that top, I don't want to say top three, but anywhere from wide receiver five to maybe wide receiver nine, mm -hmm. he can get in there. And if you can draft him like right in that wide receiver nine type of range, I don't think you're, you're, I, I think you're baking in plenty of upside. And even a little bit of downside. It wouldn't be the end of the world if you took him as wide receiver nine and he finished wide receiver 12 or 13. Still had a good year. We just haven't seen him do it yet. We're counting on that happening in Washington with Ryan Fitzpatrick. On the surface, it sounds crazy because Ryan Fitzpatrick is old, but the track record that he's shown over the past two years is that he can still sling it, and he loves slinging it to that number one outside guy. Yep. My only concern is that Ryan Fitzpatrick is really, really good at losing his job. So I just hope that he could keep it. Uh, Taylor Heineke, I mean, it's I don't know if it's the best competition, but... <clears throat> yeah. Almost 30% of McLaurin's targets last year were not catchable. Okay, that was so, Alex Smith. So that's McLaurin, and I just want to give... Uh, we should spend a lot of time on Clyde Edwards-Zelaer, probably on a separate podcast. We'll do some rankings debates. Uh, Edward Zelaer, an important pick. I just took Clyde Edward Zelaer in a draft that I'm doing right now, uh, a best ball draft, three hours between picks. So that's why I'm not on the clock or anything. But he was my third third round pick. I had Dalvin Cook second overall, Justin Jefferson 23rd, and then 26th overall, I took Clyde Edward Zelaer. And that's basically his ADP on CBS, 27th overall. So Damian Harris is one of Jamie's breakouts and and I just want to give these statistics here. Damian Harris had five catches in 10 games. We've seen this role from a Patriots running back. It doesn't come with a lot of catches, whether it's LeGarrette Blunt, who was a top 10 running back five years ago uh, with 299 carries and I think eight catches or something like that, uh, whether it's Sony Michelle, whatever, you know he's not going to catch a lot of balls. So I went back, I looked how many running backs finished top 24 with fewer than 20 catches in the last five years. So I'll just give you the numbers in non-PPR. Um, here are the amount of running backs in non-PPR who finished top 24 with less than 20 catches. Two, one, two, four, and four. So four running backs. Oh, yeah, two, one, two, four, four. Great. Um, four running backs each of the last two seasons finished top 24 in non-PPR. There was also a year where three running backs had exactly 20 catches and finished top 24. But, uh, okay, there's that. Half PPR, last five seasons. We've had two, one, two, three, and three running backs finish top 24 with fewer than 20 catches. Full PPR, this is a little scary, one, zero, two, two, and two. No more than two per year finishing top 24 with fewer than 20 catches. Another thing to consider, you look at some, go look at the standings. You know, this guy finished RB21. Sometimes the guy didn't really have that great of a year. Sometimes it's a guy like J.K. Dobbins who had six great games or something. 
but was also kind of irrelevant for a while. And there's this. Only three running backs finished top 12 in the last five years with fewer than 20 carries uh, catches. One of those running backs has done it two or three times, depending on the format. That's Derrick Henry. But it was LeGarrette Blunt, Derrick Henry, and Nick Chubb. You are not drafting Damian Harris to finish top 12, but the catches do matter. And, uh, he, I, you know, should you, should you be able to wait an extra two rounds on Damian Harris in a full PPR league compared to a non-PPR league? Is he that much different? Like, let's say you're in round seven or something, and you're thinking about taking Damian Harris. Does that make sense in non-PPR, but he should be more like round eight or nine in full? At that point, though, it's less about, like, what is their projected finish and more about filling out your roster. So maybe it's a round. He's definitely less valuable. Um, and I I would I might be more open to saying he should be a round six pick in non-PPR and a round eight pick in full PPR. Maybe that's possible. But I think it's like he's in that range where a breakout from Damian Harris doesn't necessarily mean a top 15 season. Uh, he sure, could, He could break out and just finish top 20, top 24. And I think there's like there's certainly potential. It looks right now like it's Damian Harris and James White, and that's the that's the running back situation with the first team. If it continues to look like that throughout the preseason, he's gonna he might be like a uh, a poor man's version of Josh Jacobs. You better hope the Patriots are good. In in uh, he had a stretch of nine games that he didn't leave with an injury that, you know, nine consecutive games where he basically was the lead running back. He averaged 16.5 carries per game in wins and only 12 carries per game in losses. And in the losses, never played more than 40% of the snaps. So I guess final question here, Dave. 49ers running backs, Bucks running backs, Damian Harris, rank them. So I think Harris would be at the top of the list if it's non-PPR. If it's full PPR, and I'm just double-checking because I don't want to make a mistake or say anything that's wrong, uh, I believe I've got Mostert, Sermon, Jones, no, Harris, Jones, Fournette. Okay. Bernard. And Yeah, and I've got, I've got Mostert, Harris, Sermon, and then whatever buck you want to draft. Okay. So uh, we are launching a brand-new podcast. It's already launched. Fantasy Football Today, DFS. Go subscribe right now. Get ready to dominate DFS this year. We have legit experts on this show. Frank Stanfield hosting with Mike McClure and Sia Najad. And it's two, two times a week. It's called the Fantasy Football Today DFS. Uh, and the first episode dropped last week. You can download and follow the Fantasy Football Today DFS podcast on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to FFT. Dave's breakouts. We already covered CD Lamb. How about Jalen Hurts? He is QB12. I'm starting to feel a little bit better about Jalen Hurts. I know maybe we shouldn't react too much to preseason, but I thought he did a nice yeah. job in the first game. This is all without Devontae Smith. He's had a good he had good joint practice uh, going up against the Patriots this week. I'm starting to feel it a little bit, Dave. Hey, let's go, Jalen Hurts. He's starting to throw the ball a little bit better. You see the on-target throws there. That's a good start. It kind of sucks when his receivers don't catch it, or in the case of Hurts, a tight end. Uh, go back and look at that throw to Goddard. I think he put it in a real good place for Goddard to make a big play downfield. And he didn't really do a whole lot of rushing in that game, and we know that that's going to be part of his his weekly production, is on the ground. That gives you a boost, obviously, in fantasy points. The offensive line, it's healthy. Uh, it's got a chance to be really deep, actually. It's, it's, really, it's going to be a strength, whereas last year it was a weakness. Not sure if they're going to become a run-heavy type of team. I don't think that's what they're into. And when he gets Devontae Smith back, that's a sure set of hands with some wheels on him that can make plays for him downfield. I, I, I think that there's a lot of upside. Perfect guy that you can take later on on draft day. I'm talking round nine plus to get Jalen Hurts on your squad. And you shouldn't make him your only quarterback. Pairing him with Burrow, pairing him with Stafford. I think that's a smart way to go where you've got a veteran just in case something goes wrong with Jalen Hurts along the way. But I do think he's got a chance to really improve in terms of completion rate, adjusted completion rate, um, probably right around the same type of attempts per game. He only attempted 33.3 attempts per game when he was playing last year late in the season. I, I think he's got a shot to be more efficient, better completion rate, good fantasy numbers, and beat the 24.3 fantasy points per game he had in four starts um, it was he weighted heavily on his 43-point game. Short of that, he wasn't really very good. I say he takes a step forward 
because the offense is going to be better suited for him. Let me ask you guys this about Jalen Hurts or anyone, really. You can give any name here. I think it's been three years in a row now. We've had a running back drafted in around nine or later who was, depending on the format, I guess, number one, Mahomes, Jackson, Josh Allen. Who's the best bet to be that guy this year? There's nine really or only- later. Yeah, yeah, I mean, look, we don't have to be too specific, but Josh Allen was a ninth-round pick last year. Um, but you know what I mean. Bet toward What's Tannehill's ADP before we answer this? Uh, that's a good question. Tannehill is... Uh, he's QB 10. He's ahead of Jalen Hurts. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know his overall ADP. I'm sorry. Maybe Heath does. He's good at... No, I think it's... Pro- I am pretty good at the ADP. Uh, 85th, uh, 85th, so not quite. Okay, so that's well before round nine. To me, there's three candidates, and two of them don't have the starting job with their teams yet. It's Hurts, it's Lance, it's Justin Fields. I, and I would throw Burrow in there. Okay. Uh, let's talk about another Dave breakout. A Dave out. Jonathan Taylor. Now, what does a breakout look like for him? He's going 14th overall. I think he was RB6 last year because of his big finish and crappy year for running backs. Uh, but, yeah, what, is, what what does a breakout look like for Jonathan Taylor? A breakout for him would be, like top three running back by the end of the year, flirting with 2,000 total yards, double-digit touchdowns. I don't see him getting a ton of catches. Somewhere between 30 and 40 seems about right. But I I think that this offense will revolve around Taylor, and I think he's got a shot to just reel in a bunch of scores and, and a couple of big breakaway runs on top of it. He just seems like he's that type of running back. And his his special traits can help Carson Wentz kind of ease back into things. And we we saw this at the end of last year from him when in his final eight games, he averaged more than 100 total yards per game. I think he had eight or nine touchdowns, nine touchdowns it is, in those last eight games. That includes the playoffs. Just massive productions on the table. His offensive line isn't 100% right now. It should be by like week three, and it might even be by week one. And so I don't mind if I draft Taylor in round one and I get a couple of iffy games from him to start the season. But once that clears up, I, I think the offensive line will click, especially when Nelson's back. Carson will feel good. Their schedule is really good after the first, I think, five weeks of the season. And you'll see Jonathan Taylor take off and have a monster year. I am comfortable taking him in round one. Rank Barkley, Chubb, and Taylor. Taylor's going to be first. Uh, Barkley's going to be second, and Chubb's going to be third. Cool. Okay. Do you think we need to talk about TJ Hawkinson? Uh, Just the difference in Hawkinson's situation compared to Fant and compared to a lot of other tight ends is that he's got a chance to be the number one target on his team, whereas last year he wasn't. Yes. Yes, he does. That's really it. This is true. And I, I asked Jared Goff about it after the game, about the role that tight ends will have, and he specifically mentioned TJ as someone who will have a big role in the offense. And this is also um, like it probably gets into my process a little bit as well. We've got like four or five games where Jared Goff has produced an elite tight end. We we don't have a like Hunter Henry's been fine with Anthony Lynn about what TJ Hawkinson was last year. Um, I I just there's not. I'm kind of assuming that, that he's not going to. He might lead the team in targets, but not by a large amount. And at his, the other thing he could do, though, and I don't want to discount this because I always end up being the anti TJ Hawkinson guy. It's possible as a 24 year old tight end that he has a good year and he stops being so terribly inefficient and he improves. I'm not sure these are the circumstances that I think that would lead to that not having any other receivers to draw attention away from him and having Jared Goff as his quarterback. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, on the Anthony Lynn thing, does it really matter? Does it really make sense to look at Hunter Henry's usage when you know, they had Keenan Allen? No. Right. Right. I mean, you basically would have to look at games where Henry played and Keenan Allen didn't. I'm not, that was year one. Well, that was, that no, was, I think this goes back to something Davis talked about. Um, generally speaking, if you have a ton of targets to running backs, you don't have a ton of targets to tight ends. 
Th- those targets are both short area targets. Yeah. Um, and historically, Lynn has leaned more towards the running backs than he has to the tight ends. I, and I think you could have a debate about whether DeAndre Swift or TJ Hawkinson is a, a more likely future star at their position. They both have very good pedigree. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to leave it at that on the breakout episode of Fantasy Football Today. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you with some busts on tomorrow's show. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.